All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Will here with me. Will, Reflexivity Research just published a brand new Q1 report on the Bitcoin network. Bitcoin obviously isn't a company. It doesn't produce a normal quarterly report like a public company would. And so there's been a couple of people in the past who have done this, but you guys just put together this report and released it to summarize what's been going on in Bitcoin, had a monster Q1. Let's start with the core network activity itself in terms of transactions and transaction volumes. What are you guys seeing there? Yeah, Bitcoin passed a major milestone this quarter. Uh, if you look at the cumulative uh, value of all the transactions and number of transactions that have taken place on the network, Bitcoin's now settled over 800 million transactions worth the cumulative value of over $107 trillion, which is an incredible feat for a fully decentralized protocol that's only been in existence for just over 13 years. When you think about active addresses, right? So what you just talked about transactions, you talked about the value of those transactions, but is this just like one person doing 800 million uh, transactions or is the number of active addresses continuing to grow? No, yeah, absolutely. When we look at the active addresses, which is looking at sending and receiving uh, transactions on, on both sides, um, we can look at essentially on like a high time frame view through a 30 day moving average and look at what's the kind of multi-year usage of, of the network. Um, and what we see is that over the last 10 years, the, the number of active addresses continue to make higher lows. And so, um, of course, in a bull market, you have you know a ton of new kind of tourists and new new network users that come into the network because Bitcoin's price is going up. Uh, but I think what the what the real signal is when you look at this metric making higher lows is the fact that despite you know a lot of those tourists leave heading back into the bear market, a, a higher low meaning a you know a greater amount of people stick around during every bear market, and that's really a real sign of of adoption when people stick around despite you know price going down 60, 70 percent in the bear market. Uh, and this bear market has been no different. We've seen those active addresses continue making higher lows. So when we think about Bitcoin, I think a lot of folks are like, okay, cool. It's an electronic, you know, peer-to-peer -peer cash system. And that would uh, lean itself towards those transactions. And we continue to see those cumulative numbers grow. And, and it seems like people are using Bitcoin to send transactions and increase the value. But also there's a growing number of people who simply look at Bitcoin as a store of value. They want to hold Bitcoin. So one way that you all measure this is through how much Bitcoin sits in people's wallet addresses. And we see there that continues to kind of grind up over time, especially over the last year or so. Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at Bitcoin supply distribution, you know, this is something that a lot of people like to kind of uh, use as a criticism of Bitcoin. You'll see a lot of, kind of Bitcoin critics citing the fact that a very large amount of Bitcoin supply is held by a, a very small amount of individuals on the network. Um, this frankly isn't isn't the case um, when we look at the actual on-chain data. First of all, a lot of these claims are looking at um, you know the top 10, 15 addresses on Bitcoin outright, uh, which a lot of those are, are exchanges or custodial solutions. So those are you know entities that are holding Bitcoin on the behalf of hundreds of thousands, if not in the case of like a Coinbase, for example, 100 million plus individuals. Um, and so when you actually look at, at the real data in terms of batching these these transactions together, labeling out you know the exchanges and custodian solutions, uh, when we look at the percentage of Bitcoin's overall supply held by entities that hold less than 10 Bitcoin, which at a 28K Bitcoin price is roughly $280,000, uh, we can see that that total value of, of uh, the amount of supply held by those individuals with, with less than 10 BTC uh, has continued to climb throughout all Bitcoin's history. We've seen a real acceleration in that over the last six to eight months, uh, and that value is now over 17%. And so what, what does that mean from, from kind of a first principles basis? Uh, it's showing you that Bitcoin supply distribution is continually uh, becoming more favorable over time. So it's interesting because we saw in recent weeks that Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy now own 140,000 Bitcoin. I think he personally owns about 17,000. 
thousand as well. So you put those two together, Michael Saylor controls somewhere around 0.75%, right? Kind of just under 1% of all Bitcoin that will ever be in circulation. And there's a lot of folks who are yelling and screaming and critiquing it and saying, hey, that's too much concentration. Obviously, one point is that control of Bitcoin, uh, the asset does not necessarily give you control over the protocol or give you control over nodes or, or hash power. But what you're also saying is while maybe Michael Saylor continues to acquire and concentrate Bitcoin, we actually are seeing the exact opposite in kind of the smaller wallets is becoming more decentralized. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when we look at something, for example, like uh, two different moving averages of, uh, of of addresses, for example, so the rate of essentially change or momentum in, in address growth, we're also seeing a, a really aggressive move up in terms of looking for example, at the 30-day moving average of, of non-zero addresses relative to the 365-day moving average. Uh, and then also, if we look at the rate of growth, so kind of 90-day change or, or quarter-over-quarter change um, in those non-zero addresses, we're also seeing the highest rate of, of growth since early 2021 during Bitcoin's massive move up from, from 30 to 60K, uh, as, as you remember very well. Um, and so, yeah, I would say, you know, while, while Sailor is accumulating, you're also seeing in the, in the smaller wallets uh, really extreme accumulation from some of these some of these smaller entities, which, of course, is favorable for Bitcoin supply distribution. One of the big stories in Q1 for Bitcoin was ordinals. And obviously there was a lot of controversy. There was kind of the most hardcore Bitcoin maximalists hated it. They thought it was dumb. Uh, they thought it was a complete waste of time. Then there's a lot of folks who I would put more in kind of a Bitcoin rationalist uh, camp that they're saying, no, look, actually, this is usage of the protocol. Part of the value of the protocol is people can do whatever they want with it. Um, and obviously people want to do this. What are you all seeing in the data when it comes to ordinals and how important was that for the success of Bitcoin in Q1? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and to kind of summarize the kind of two camps that I would say individuals fall into, um, the first one is that um, the kind of increase in, in data usage on Bitcoin uh, has made the download times for individuals that are looking to operate Bitcoin nodes, uh, the download times are, are heightened. So therefore, there's slightly more friction in terms of people being able to download nodes. Um, and then also individuals um, that, that fall into this camp have stated that you know, they don't like the fact that essentially uh, on-chain images are competing with actual real economic uh, transactions that are, that are looking to, to get it put into blocks on on-chain. Uh, and then I would say the other kind of camp uh, that I would say you and I more, more so fall into um, is that, you know, the increase in, in usage of ordinals has increased um, the, the use of, of the Bitcoin blockchain, and that's translated into several measures of data. Um, so the first one being um, if we look at taproot adoption, right? So, so ordinals were made possible through kind of a, a loophole and taproot. So if we look at taproot adoption, that's really accelerated throughout the quarter. Uh, if we look at the mempool, which is essentially the backlog of transactions, uh, that's also been the most full that it's been in well over a year. Uh, we saw a brief spike during kind of the FTX collapse as there was a ton of transactional activity and kind of reorging of wallets going on. But overall, we've seen, seen the most kind of sustainable uh, uh, filling up of the mempool that we've seen in, in some time. Um, part of that is is Bitcoin's been the you know best performing asset class of the year up up nearly seventy percent. So there's definitely some degree of just um, you know heightened activity on Bitcoin because of price outright. But a large a large degree of that is is can be credited to, to ordinals. Um, and then you know outside of the mempool, when we also look at fees as a byproduct of that, because of course if there's more demand to get your transaction into a block, you're going to have to raise the fees that you're that you're willing to give miners to incentivize them to let you get into a block. Uh, and so when we look at Bitcoin uh, transaction fees, we've seen that they've also climbed throughout the quarter. Um, and so when you pair that in terms of the heightened transaction fees 
with the increase in the value of daily issuance for Bitcoin, you know, of course, you only have 900 Bitcoin that have that have come into circulation every single day since the last having change um, in 2020, and, and that'll change next year. As we, we maybe talk about that in the back half of the conversation, that, that I think we're both looking forward to. Um, but as Bitcoin's prices appreciated throughout the quarter, that's increased the USD value of the issuance every single day. And so when you pair the increased value of transactions with the increased value of issuance, that's translated to, when you put those two things together, overall higher USD denominated value of, of revenue for miners. Uh, and so ultimately, that's that's a very positive thing for the security of the network, um, because when you pair that with also global energy prices declining, it's more favorable for miners. And we've seen that translated into hash rate ultimately. What's fascinating is if you look at total transaction fees for these miners uh, over the last five, six years, the two big peaks were actually in uh, the kind of final capitulation of the 2018 bear market, right? Kind of uh, Q4 of 2018. And then in the summer of 2021 was another huge peak. And that was kind of the the uh, valley, if you will, uh, when we drew down from 60,000 to back down to 30 before we went to an all time high. And so uh, what's interesting about the use of ordinals here and kind of the mempool filling up and transaction fees increasing is this is not because of market volatility, right? This is not necessarily being driven by a negative event. It's actually being driven by uh, what many people think is a positive event. Do you think that that is uh, uh, important for Bitcoin or do you think that no, it's just whenever people want to use it, whether it's because market's going down or there's positive impact, we should just look at it as uh, kind of a data point? No, I, I think it is an important development for Bitcoin because it kind of takes the volatility out of or, or cyclicality uh, out of transaction fees for minor miners, which is a positive thing for them to have sustainable revenue long term. Um, and then also, you know, as we look out into the future, um, whenever, you know, the, the block subsidy goes away for miners and they're solely relying on fees, uh, I think you and I kind of fall into the camp of over time, um, you know, as Bitcoin supply issuance kind of plateaus out, um, you'll see more economic activity on chain because the value of Bitcoin likely appreciates by then. And then you'll have more people actually spending Bitcoin into the overall economy. Uh, but also, I would say that that ordinals add an even uh, another you know kind of layer on top of that in terms of potential uh, activity that could drive fees for miners over the long term, which which allows you know the Bitcoin network to continue to be sustainable from an economic perspective. So this brings us to the Puel multiple. Uh, this thing has been deadly, <laughs> right? Uh, explain what it is. And then uh, we saw kind of second half of 2022, uh, we hit kind of this like green zone that everyone looks for. Uh, does that signal that we actually have seen the bottom of that bear market and we now are in the early days of the next bull market? Yeah, sure. I would pair this with a couple other kind of on-chain indicators that you can look at from like a kind of multi-year, like high time frame view of, of, of Bitcoin's quote unquote market cycles and, and has kind of behaved thus far in these like four-year market cycles and appears to be doing so thus far. Um, first of all, I would say that Bitcoin thus far, again, is, is following those historical kind of uh, having cycles for, for better or for worse. Um, it's also eerie how, how closely they've also tied in with the broader kind of liquidity cycles from, from monetary policy from the Fed. Um, but yeah, looking at, at looking at the Pell multiple specifically, um, as we mentioned earlier, the, the USD value of, of issuance has gone up and that's a positive thing for miners. This is exactly what this metric tries to tries to encapsulate. So if we look at uh, what what is what is from a first principles basis, this metric trying to illustrate it's what's the what's the USD value uh, of minor uh, issuance every day that they're bringing in relative to the trailing 365 day moving average. So essentially, um, you know, how much revenue are they bringing in from issuance every day relative to what they've been making over the last year? Uh, and so whenever we see this this kind of capitulatory behavior where we see this sharp kind of spike down uh, into that green zone that you talked about, which is somewhat arbitrary based on like 
uh, prior cycles. Uh, what that's what's that, what that's indicating is partially a byproduct of price, but just that miners under extreme stress. So whenever we get to the bottom of every single Bitcoin cycle, uh, you see miners kind of. Um, you know, uh, sustainability or viability tested in terms of, you know, how they're running their operations. We saw a major minor capitulation at the back half of 2018. Uh, and as we saw this spike down on the pull multiple in the back half of this year, or I'm sorry, in the back half of 2022 into the beginning of this year, uh, we saw kind of similar capitulatory behavior um, in terms of hash rate coming offline and looking at some like moving averages of hash rate that have kind of indicated capitulation from miners as well as selling from miners in terms of looking at the on-chain wallets. Um, so yeah, this, this, this kind of uh, from a like cyclical perspective, mark this like very similar behaviors to what we saw in 2018 and also in 2015 as well. Um, and then, you know, from from kind of a uh, forward-looking perspective, what does this indicate? Well, it indicates that potentially the worst is behind us for miners. Uh, and then again, kind of what I mentioned towards towards the beginning of the conversation when we talked about ordinals, um, it's taken some of the pressure off of off of miner margins, which. Um, it, as kind of a second order effect of that, uh, likely decreases the amount of sell pressure that's going to come online because miners no longer have to sell their Bitcoin to kind of keep the lights on. Yeah. When you think about something like the Lightning Network, I know that you guys didn't spend a ton of time doing the analysis mm -hmm. uh, for the Lightning Network for this specific report, but it seems like the Lightning Network continues to gain adoption and continues to kind of grow at an impressive pace. Is that a fair way to characterize it? Yeah, I would say the Lightning Network has held up quite well uh, over the last few quarters, you know, despite the kind of like broader market decline in Bitcoin. Uh, I think that kind of shows you that there's actual real uh, underlying utility for the Lightning Network being used for things like remittances. And, you know, there's the Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador that, that's kind of the most famous uh, uh, example of that. Um, when we look at the USD value of Lightning Network capacity, granted, this is just public data, um, it's increased by 50 million uh, quarter over quarter. Um, and overall, it's, it's held up quite well, I would say. But we haven't really seen that kind of breakthrough point of adoption for, for the Lightning Network yet. Uh, but with people like Jack Mahler, Strike, and, and some of these other kind of uh, Lightning Network companies, uh, I think uh, we're probably well on the way to, to, it's kind of just a waiting game for, for seeing that kind of breakthrough in, in an application to, to push the Lightning Network forward. Yeah, we, we mentioned earlier the idea that the halving is coming. Right. It's kind of next year um, in the past, regardless of what people think, uh, it has had an impact on price. It's very obvious there's the having and then there's this price uh, kind of movement upwards. Uh, what is your expectation going into it? What are you looking for? Are there certain things that would be red flags to you as we head towards that having? What does the having mean for anyone who doesn't know? It means that the uh, amount of Bitcoin that come into circulation is going to be cut in half. So it's going to go from 900 Bitcoin uh, every day to uh, 450 that have come out into circulation every single day. Um, and so in theory, if you have the same you know, amount of demand and then a decreased amount of supply that's coming into circulation that could that should cause an upward drift in price um, in terms of, you know, on, on like a multi year view, I think that's a very positive thing for Bitcoin's price action. Uh, but in terms of what I'd be watching leading up to the halving, I would say keep a very close eye on the derivatives data because that'll kind of give you some some signals as to how the market's positioned. So in markets, it's not always about whether something's a positive or negative thing. It's about, you know, how positive or how negative is this event relative to the market's expectations. Um, so I would say if you see in the derivatives data that you know seeing things like high funding rates along with you know high open interest, uh, that's potentially indicating that traders are you know maybe getting a, a little overly bullish um, locally uh, in terms of you know prior to the halving. And, and this is something that we saw uh, in 2020. We saw 
Um, of course, the COVID crash played played a big role in this, but we saw in, in the derivatives data, uh, derivatives essentially got jacked leading up into the halving. We saw funding rates extremely high, open interest was climbing. So essentially a bunch of individuals understood that, um, you know, on a multi-year view, the halving was a bullish thing, but maybe locally uh, kind of levered up a little too much. And then we had kind of COVID that came in and exacerbated a, a liquidation cascade and wiped all that leverage out. Um, hopefully we don't have another type COVID like event that uh, that will cause any type of leverage to get flushed out to that extent. But uh, I guess the point I'm just saying is keep an eye on the positioning of of the individuals uh, heading into the having to understand locally uh, how maybe it'll it'll play out and potentially be a sell the news event you know on like a short term basis. So we've seen narratives be incredibly important to Bitcoin over the years. There was obviously you know institutions are coming, corporates are buying uh, everything from regulation, El Salvador, etc. Um, we talked about ordinals. There's obviously the Lightning Network story. Uh, there's this idea of very high illiquidity in the market. Are there any other narratives you're paying attention to right now that you think are worth calling out? Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would say one thing on the on the liquidity thing. You know, this is something that we we talked about actually a lot in in 2021. And I would say where where I was wrong was yes, I would say the the overall supply was was relatively illiquid in terms of being held by entities that had a low likelihood of moving those coins again. Um, but you know that 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 illiquidity can be exacerbated in both directions, and so I think the fact that there was such a low circulating float of Bitcoin exacerbated a lot of the downside, it, it, the kind of back half of of 2022. Um, but you know, on the on the on the converse of that, um, you know. If, if we do see some type of you know upwards price action that's likely to get accelerated by the fact that uh, there's a large amount of Bitcoin that's held by um, on-chain entities that are have a very low likelihood to sell, over 70% of Bitcoins held by long-term holders, uh, all-time high amount of supply that hasn't moved in at least a year, two years. Uh, and so I would say the the available float is is at the lowest that it's ever been. Uh, and so when individuals come come looking to buy Bitcoin, I think there's a lot of Bitcoin holders that have gotten their uh, belief tested over the last two years, uh, and at least based on the data that we're currently seeing, aren't looking to sell anytime soon. Um, in terms of narratives that I would say to watch out for, I think a lot of individuals are kind of underestimating the geopolitical significance of Bitcoin. Um, you know, as we continue to see some of these headlines of uh, countries looking to price oil in, in yuan, for example, and potentially looking to move off a U.S. dollar standard, I don't think the dollar is going away next week, like some individuals maybe have have mentioned. Uh, but I do think you know there's there's likely a relationship or correlation between as we see more headlines of, of countries looking to move away from a, from a dollar standard slowly, uh, the higher the likelihood is that they have some type of at least, you know, like, like a small hedge, a small position in, in Bitcoin. And so something I would, I would keep an eye out for is some of these countries like UAE, Singapore, et cetera, uh, potentially taking some type of small Bitcoin allocation. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that, you know, announced over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, that would be a pretty big development and pretty incredible. Um, where can people go find you online or find out more about reflexivity? research if they want to get this in their inbox. Yeah, absolutely. You can check out Reflexivity at reflexivityresearch.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter at reflexivityres. Uh, and then you can check me out on Twitter at wclementiiii. Awesome. Well, anyone who wants, uh, highly suggest go and subscribe Reflexivity Research. These guys are doing a fantastic job uh, digging into the data. They are creating all sorts of different reports. Um, and I've been uh, learning a lot from them. Uh, and it's pretty cool to be working with Will and the rest of the team. So if you want, go check it out, reflexivityresearch.com. I appreciate you doing this. We'll do it again in the future. Thanks, Pop. Talk to you next week.